Welcome to the Off Plan On Air podcast, a podcast by Excelsior Real Estate in Dubai with your host, Nick Grassick. Okay, morning. Welcome back. Off Plan On Air, episode 15. The whole crew's back in again this morning. Um, so we now have the self-proclaimed strategist, Mitch. Chief, Chief strategist. Good morning. Chief. Sorry, pilot. Yeah. Uh, the guru, Sav. Good morning. And the office chimp. Hello, Matthew. I don't respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Um, this morning, I want to have a chat with regards to how the Dubai property real estate market is influenced, affected by regional events. Um, look, based in the Middle East, there's an awful lot which has been going on around ourselves, um, which have, in some instances, actually proven to be a boom. Uh, it's actually benefited this this country. I, 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 all too often, I'm hearing the phrase that Dubai is the Switzerland of the Middle East. We are very much a neutral geopolitical force and very much seen as a safe haven for people's investments. Um, so I think in terms of just very quickly touching on this, um, there has been a, a certain amount of civil unrest over the last decade or so. I think one of the most notable of recent times would be the Ukraine-Russia conflict. And it won't be too sensitive to say that as a result of that, we've seen a large inflow of funds from Russia. That's been widely reported in the press. It has certainly helped contribute towards the increasing prices. Besides that sensitive area, guys, let me know some of the different aspects that, that, that you're seeing, that you're speaking to clients and investors about that are seen as either a positive or indeed a negative. I think we have to separate out for this one GCC or the MENA, Middle East, North Africa region, and then the rest of the world, because the, the Middle East, for a variety of other factors, has seen some instability, whether it's war, unrest, political, whatever it may be, has seen some. But Dubai, the UAE and Dubai specifically, has been an area, a safe haven, where they don't have to fully leave what they may be used to. We've noticed that with a few investors recently where they're able to come into a nation. English is, is the main language, de facto language, of course, or in the government offices, you have both Arabic and English, but on the street, English is the, the language everyone goes to, but there is still sort of some comfort and familiarity with this region for Middle East investors. So as the world gets a little more turbulent in, those re in the Middle East, North African regions, anywhere from Lebanon all the way to the GCC Gulf, whatever may be happening in those specific countries, the Levant, this is still an area within that community that is a safe haven for them. And then everything else you mentioned for European, North and South American clients, Australia, Pacific, whatever it may be, there's a different appeal, but from the internal community coming to Dubai, there's a massive appeal from just a pure uh, stability and prosperity perspectives that those people are able to tap into without going too far from home. Fellas, what kind of things are you what kind of things are you speaking to clients about at the moment in terms of? I mean, look, in, in terms of you know, um, a recently announced sporting event, Saudi have just secured. Is it the 2030, 2034? The World Cup footy, 2034 footy. That's off the back of Qatar last year. 
Now, we were all here working in real estate last year, and we all saw firsthand. It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, not just the short-term rental market, but also because so many fans were basing themselves here and then fly in, fly out to Qatar to watch the games. So those people had chance to have a look at the market. We sold to a number of investors who had been here um, for that reasonably short period of time and decided, okay, this is, this is a lot more cosmopolitan. This is a lot more um, open. It's, 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 it's a much more liberated, perhaps, environment than what preconceptions had been. I, I don't see any reason why that's not going to continue in terms of, you know, the lead up. Okay, it's a, it's a number of years away. Um, but I think with this region starting to attract those global events with sporting or otherwise, it's only when you've been here on holiday that you actually start to realise, you know what, not everything that I've read in the press is, is always the case. Yeah, but then on the flip side of that, you've got the naysayers saying they're going to boycott it because it's in Saudi and the laws in Saudi don't... Was that not said with Qatar, though? And Qatar was a great foot, was a great tournament. Well, this was going to be my point. This was said with Qatar, this was said with Russia, the, 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 the um, World Cup before that, 2018. People still went. A lot of people say this thing because it, it looks good on Facebook, right? <laughs> you know, it, it falls... People warriors. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like you say with Qatar, it was a great tournament. It brought a lot of people to the Middle East, um, a lot of people that bought here, um, because like you say, they, they came and they saw. Um, so yeah, I mean, just trying to play devil's advocate a bit, there is a lot of people that are saying, oh, it's, it, it's not going to be as great. But I think 10 years time, with how progressive this, um, this, this region of the, the world is, I think it'll be just as big as any other World Cup. Yeah. That's uh, even, if, even if it's not a major world, even if it is the lowest attending World Cup ever, there are going to be people that don't want to stay in Saudi. And you think about stadiums that are holding 30, 40, 50, 60, 80,000 people per, per match. As you get on to the bigger ones, not all 80,000 people for every quarterfinal match are going to stay in Saudi. People are going to realize that Dubai, UAE... Abu Dhabi, there's a much better area to enjoy a certain lifestyle, and they're going to come here even on a short-term basis, which, as you already mentioned, exposes our potential investor pool even larger to, to the lifestyle here. So even if it's the worst World Cup, to be devil's advocate, as Matt said, even if it's the worst World Cup, it's still going to draw people here. And I don't anticipate it being the worst one, but it's going to have a lot of attention, a lot of press, and it's going to bring people to the region, and most of them will want to stay in Dubai. Just elaborating on from that, um, as I understand, there was another country, I think it was Australia, that were also in contention for the footy. And they bowed out because I, I think you know, the, the, the costs were, 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 were spiraling out of control. We've seen this a couple of times quite recently, whereby the cost of, um, housing's the wrong word, hosting. Infrastructure. Yeah, the cost of hosting these global sporting events whether it be the Commonwealth Games, the, the, the Olympics, whatever it might be, I know from personal experience the effect that, um, I think it was the Commonwealth Games, that, that Birmingham uh, hosted quite recently, maybe five, six years ago or so. Uh, I saw firsthand the impact that that had to the economy, to the city as a whole. But I've also been reading about the hangover that was left as a legacy in terms of the cost. If we accept or we recognise 
that parts of the Middle East do have much deeper pockets at the moment. If we start to see more of these major events in the region, surely we'll start to see what happened last year happen on a more frequent basis. What are your thoughts? I would say, to be honest, the, the GCC region or Dubai or whoever, right? They have strategies in place. They have seen the past where things have fallen as a hangover after the big events. They have seen recession hit after the bigger events and how to cope with this recession. They already have those strategies in place so that they know that what to expect. Okay, we will surpass that and then go over the problem, over the bump. Actually, a great example of that is Expo. Yes. We hosted Expo last year. That has now become a residential community. We're working with developers right now that are putting up buildings, towers, um, uh, townhouse and looks villa like a, It looks like a little mini European city there already yeah. that's been left over. So they're actually taking the infrastructure that was put in place and then creating something on the back of it, which further develops it's become the, the economy. There's, yeah. the de there's the demand there to be able to do that. When you go to some random country or even a well-established country that puts stadiums and miniature villa vi villages or cities in place just for these tournaments, there's nothing there to support that when they're gone. There was nothing there to begin with. It's not sustainable because when that large market, when that large audience, that large event leaves, there was nothing there before. There was nothing there again because you haven't attracted and sustained that attraction throughout Dubai. On the other hand, like Expo, people come through Expo. They now want to stay and move here because of all the other factors that are encompassed in the Dubai lifestyle. Yeah, they're building the infrastructure around it. It's already been so in it place so that when, when, it, when it launches. So that's exactly right. They put strategies in place. So, like, you know, for example, the, the visas, they have expanded the amount of visas you can get, different types of visas you can get for the people to come into Dubai. So, after the expo, they, they know what was going to happen. So, they kind of, you know what, let's keep these people around or let's get more investments coming into the country and to grow the economy. Um, but the whole Saudi thing in 2034, you said? 2034. 2034, I think, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it is a bit long away, but at the same time, it's not that far, you know. And Saudi is not that far. It's literally, what, maybe an hour? And I do think a lot of people will be basing themselves here and fly and fly out. Oh, very yeah, similar for to sure. Qatar. I mean, if they can do that for Qatar, they can definitely do that for Saudi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Demand will be 100%. much higher. More of the domestic market focused, the gaming license. This is huge news at the moment. Their win. Uh, is it Win Casinos? Win the, the Win Group. Win Group. Uh, I think it was September this year. There was a press release from one of their shareholders meetings that the chairman um, announced that they are imminently expecting their gaming license. Russell Kamer, I think prices are going to go through the roof. That's going to be pouring petrol. They already are. They already are, and it's it's much different this time than Palm Jebelali, for example because that's been promised a few different times and they've had delays for whatever reasons and now it's finally starting to get back on track again. People were wondering, at least the investors that I've been speaking with are wondering, is that gonna happen again? The infrastructure's there already. Wynn has already broken down under their construction. Marjan Island is currently being developed as we speak. You can go out to those sites and see day by day, week by week, how much development there is. It, we're not far off. We're T minus 24, maybe even 12 months until you start to see legitimate buildings there in addition to what's already been there. Yep. And, and, and it's much more developed and much more the further along. Even if wind leaves, there's still that infrastructure there, which is a very luxurious, almost millionaire. Now, the article that we had a few weeks ago, millionaire's playground there where people are coming to buy these exclusive communities. Then you add in the gaming resort on top of that, and you're able to build almost a little mini safe haven or ecosystem there 
for short-term rentals, long-term yeah. as well, just a, a huge economy bubble. No, I personally believe in RAC. I'm looking at RAC on a personal basis at the moment um, because I attended a presentation a couple of weeks ago and it's not only about the tourists, the international tourists. And if you look at the likes of Macau, Singapore, Vegas, where you get people that will fly in, you'll also then get the domestic tourists. So Rack, it's an hour's drive from Dubai. You're gonna get people that are heading out on a Friday evening to come back on a Saturday or a Sunday Vacation. afternoon. Exactly that. So you've not only got the international tourism and the domestic tourism, you've also then got the residents that will need to be on hand to man the hotels, the restaurants. These people all need somewhere to live. So in terms of you know, conversations that I'm having with my other half at the moment, as well as, in, as, well as investors, the properties that we are selling I'm personally looking to purchase, it's not only about that holiday market, it will also be about the hotel stuff. You know, I mean, Russell Kamer is a fledgling. You know, it's, it's, it's Dubai 15 plus years ago. I mean, you know, like I have worked in Iraq for about a year and a half, right? Of course. And um, the majority of clients who invest in Iraq are people buy as a holiday homeowner. They go from here or Abu Dhabi, they go over the weekend with the family, they get villa, beach access, they get, you know, no traffic, everything is great. The other half people who buy over there are people who are actually living there and the lifestyle suits them. Um, people who don't really care about the crazy hustle and bustle, you know, they, they want a really relaxed lifestyle. And as you said, the, people, the hotels over there who are manning the, the staff, they're all having um, places to live, right? So demand is always going to be then rack, no matter what. And especially now with this whole gaming license coming in, massive amount of infrastructure is going up already in Majan Island uh, with hotels. Tons and tons of hotels are coming up over there. So you will only see upwards trend in rack. Yeah. Um, prices. We literally are start. We are starting to see the beginning of what I believe will be a boom. You know, I would say Majan Island is like a small mini Palm Jumeirah, yeah. which was like. 15, 20 years ago. That's kind of beautiful. It's not just the boom and bust town. It's actually something that can be sustained through a little miniature, little little city, a really cool, prosperous, wealthy little hub. We're kind of starting at ground zero right now in terms of the pricing, because as the culture changes there, so too will the reason for it being considered a destination. Not only, um, sorry, you just mentioned about the infrastructure, about the hotels and everything, but. There's not only that, is the, they're extending the airport now, so you've got more international flights. Is there a going. daily flight now international? Uh, starting from... Uh, Qatar Airways. Oh, yeah, it started Qatar, from November, yeah. Yeah, Qatar so there's Airways. there's daily flights going in from Qatar Airport, so it's a lot more easily accessible. Also, you've got, the, you've got the train line coming up where it's like, I think it's like a 40-minute commute yeah, into the bar. I yeah. mean, 40-minute commute in, in, in the UK, 40 minutes is nothing, yeah. you know? Um, so a lot of people will now think, hold on a minute, I can get a nice villa for half the price I can get uh, in Dubai, and it's only a 40-minute commute on the train each day into downtown. Yeah. School is much more affordable there, so it's perfect for it, families. It, exactly, and it's just a nice, it's, it's less hustle and bustle, isn't it, you know? And like, like I say, in the UK, a lot of people do that. They work in London, but they live in a nice little quiet village on the countryside and they just commute in, yep. you know, 50 minutes on the train each day. So you'll see a lot more people from Dubai, not actually even going on holiday there, but actually moving there, I think, within the next few years. So we've spoken a little bit now about the pull factor, what it is about Dubai and UAE and what's changing here, which is making it more and more attractive. Regional, regional changes, because in addition to the pull factor, you've also got the push factor. We are seeing 
significant increase in the percentages and the volumes of clients who are contacting us from Europe. Top of my head, Amsterdam have recently changed their tax reforms because the price of property for both purchase and rent is untenable. Um, the government has made very specific changes to actually make it as unattractive as they possibly can, and as a result of which we're speaking to a number of people from those countries. I think Portugal, France, Germany, guys, what do you know about these areas? Because these are also going through significant changes. And I think a lot of it comes down to having to refill the coffers post-COVID because they spent a fortune. They've spent a fortune. Well, this Portugal, for example, because I'm getting ready to head there again to meet with investors, and we have quite a few of them that have come in recently from there. There are a few things that the government and different entities are doing to make it challenging, much, or that, that make it, whether that's their intention or not, the end result is that it makes it much more challenging for someone who wants to break into investing or become a property investor, much more difficult to do so for them. It's already hard enough for an established investor that understands the market, understands how to operate, but if this is your first or second property and you're trying to climb up that investment ladder, it's so difficult now. For example, they've gotten rid of the real estate visa program for there to get a long-term visa, the golden visa program in Portugal. You can still do it through other means of investing, but that's not exactly what people are interested in when they go to real estate. They can touch, feel, smell the property that they have. It's a real asset that they can have, not just some investment fund. They also have something that I, that I learned recently, which is very crazy, commonly referred to as the sunshine tax where if your property has a certain amount of sunshine throughout the day, you will pay more on that property versus if it's facing away from the sun, north or southward facing, instead of east and west, capitalizing that. Now, on that, you would assume it's because if you get in greater level of sunshine, then you can rent it for a higher amount? Exactly. So but you if can... you're renting for a higher amount, then you're paying higher tax on your income anyway. So they're double dipping. So, so they're double dipping. And then also when they'll, when they'll double dip is they'll tax at the end. So if you have a business or rental income, you're taxed on it throughout the month, but you're also on your monthly income, but you're also taxed again at the end of the year. So you're losing upwards of 50% of your, your rental wow. income, whereas Dubai, you lose zero percent. Imagine yeah. having sunshine tax in Dubai. Sand <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and sunshine tax. The roof. <laughs> <laughs> you you just give them money. You wouldn't even be able to invest. Uh, so that's just one example of the landscape in these regions that is becoming more and more difficult, especially if you want to break into it as your first or second property. On the opposite side, Dubai, you now have payment plans that make it so much easier. It's comparable, sometimes even better, to an actual mortgage where you don't need. 20% when you go into the bank. You need 5% to reserve within a month, another 10 to 15, giving you 30 days, at least two paychecks if you're paid bi-weekly or monthly, another paycheck or two to be able to afford more additional payments and refill or replenish your savings account. We talked about the World Cup or these large global Olympic events being very capital intensive. The returns are immense for the cities. There aren't many cities that don't make a return. It's almost guaranteed, but you have a lot of capital requirements to put into that. Dubai and real estate here, Rock, all these other places, Russell Kema. You can get into this without as much capital as people realize. And I think that's a big aspect of it as well. So you can go from having to invest a ton of capital into real estate, primary, secondary, in other countries like Portugal, Spain, Germany, Amsterdam, the Netherlands, as we talked about, and pay a large percentage of the returns you're supposed to be getting and estimating to get forecasting back in taxes. Or you can come to Dubai with someone who has an upward trending, not a stagnant growth rate, but an actual positive growth trend and limited capital requirements to get started. I don't know about you guys, but recently what I've found when I'm speaking to clients overseas, 
they don't know this whole concept of putting in 5%, 10% and to do a payment plan. For them, it's either bank, mortgage or full cash. Because that's the norm in an overseas market, yeah. Is it? Like they don't have like a payment plan structure to go on and on like a bi-monthly or whatever basis? I've seen in other places, uh, one of our Portuguese investors invests in Morocco heavily and then I've seen it in a few other countries in Southern Europe. You're, you're paying less because the, you're, there's, the, there's an inherent element of risk on a project that's two or three years down the road. So you don't pay the same price and sometimes they'll pay you pay a little bit now and the rest at handover or when the project is ready. But you're right, it's not as specific here. It's very detailed, very somewhat even flexible depending on the relationship you have with the developer like we have with some, where you can actually say is it five and 10 or maybe it's five, five and then 10. So you're able to have break this down throughout a construction phase, but there's also projects that are in the middle of their construction phase that for whatever reason decide to then sell, they have different liquidity levels, they have different leverage and debt levels. They can then start to launch halfway through and you're only 12 to six months away from handover and you still have these payment plans and post handover. Yeah. You're absolutely right that not, not people are realizing that. Um, chaps, anything else that you have been speaking to clients about in terms of your understanding of what's, what, what's changing in Europe? I mean, Mitch has gone into a fair bit of detail about what's happening over in Portugal. <laughs> yeah, quite a lot. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> it was just a backhanded compliment then, I think, mate. That was... Uh, That's fine. Go on then, Maddie, over to you. Really? <laughs> I've no idea what's going on in Europe. I don't live there anymore. Um, no, I just... Like, the only thing that I can really say is, is about UK. I know that speaking to a lot of... Um, a lot of people I know in the UK uh, are kind of putting investments on hold at the moment because there's this big fear that Labour are going to get in. Um, and you know what Labour are like at taxing the rich. Um, so I, I found a lot of people now wanting to put their money elsewhere from the UK. The rich should be taxed. Yes. I'm a lefty socialist. Well, you know, regardless of In the of capitalist your, world, of course. Regardless of your political standpoint, it doesn't matter, you know, but, you know, if... if if Labour get in, they will raise taxes on, you know, the rich, wealth taxes and all that. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of people worried about that in the UK at the moment. Um, in terms of France, I know they've already got a wealth tax, like you've already touched on the Netherlands. They've bought in all these different um, uh, sort of kind of stamp duties, if you like. Um, land tax is another one that they bring in in the Netherlands. So they're not only taxing them on the property, they're actually taxing them on the land that the property sat on as well. Oh, right. Um, oh, so US, yeah. the US has been doing that for ages. Oh, really? We have a, where my, my parents live, the state and city that they live in, municipality, there's a tax on the house, the land, if you have a shed or a storage area for garden equipment outside, that's a tax. Oh, if wow. your car is parked on the premises in your driveway, it counts as property tax. If it's not, it's a separate kind of tax, an auto tax. So, yeah, that's, that, insane. that's yeah. I'm loving the fact now that we are being referred to as a Switzerland of the Middle East. Yeah. Like, we will become the tax haven for the entire, if we're not already, for the entire region. Fellas, anything else you want to throw into this before we wrap it up? Nope. Thank you for your time. Mm -hmm.